I think we need to stop being so hard on ourselves and applying rules and expectations that came from a different time and accept that now you're going to change your path many, many times and look around you. There are so many people now, the most successful business people in the world who started their careers at 50. Mm. They didn't even know that they were going to go into those industries at 45 and we're still, you know, ages away from that. So yeah. there's no there's no reason why you can't have a dramatic pivot at any time. Welcome to Retreat Yourself Radio. I'm your host, Kate Williams. I'm a personal trainer, certified health coach, and founder of Retreat Yourself. If you're looking for a healthier, happier, and more fulfilled life, then you've come to the right place. Each week, I'll be diving deep into what it means to live a life well lived, holding thought-provoking conversations with some of the world's most inspiring people, leaving you with actionable tips, tools, and takeaways so that you too can lead a life well lived. So grab a cuppa, sit back, relax, and enjoy. It's time to begin your journey to your most incredible life. Hello, everybody. I hope you're all keeping well and managing to look after yourself in the craziness of the world right now. It really is a crazy time and it's more important than ever before to be looking after yourself. We must be looking after our mental health and prioritizing our self-care right now. For this reason, the team at Retreat Yourself have decided that we're going to offer 20% off our single boxes. All you have to do is use the code LOOKAFTERYOURSELF in one word to receive the 20% off discount and you'll have a retreat in a box jam-packed with all Australian health and wellness goodies delivered right to your door. So the code is LOOKAFTERYOURSELF, one word, and you'll receive 20% off. I'm not sure if you've been following along our social pages, but unfortunately my honeymoon got cut short. We had the most amazing time, but then we had to leave two weeks earlier than expected. Now my husband and I are in mandatory self-isolation and are almost finished. Aside from the world being a very stressful place right now, isolation actually hasn't been so bad. Our friends have been amazing and have brought us lots of delicious home-cooked meals and snacks. But don't worry, we're keeping social distance. We've actually made a pulley with a rope and a bucket that we can lower over the balcony for deliveries. (laughs) Anyway, on to the more important things this week's episode. This episode was actually recorded before I went on my honeymoon and is absolutely full of inspiration that may provide a nice break from the happenings of the world today. It's with the beautiful, bubbly, and super intelligent Sarah Davidson, who you may also know as Spoonful of Sarah. Sarah is a self-proclaimed lawyer turned entrepreneur who went from the world of lawyering to co-found Matcha Maiden. Her journey with Matcha came about when she was banned from coffee after becoming unwell. From something that started out as a little side hustle, Matcha Maiden has become one of the biggest names in the industry, being stocked worldwide in stores such as Urban Outfitters, and the best part is that it boasts so many amazing health benefits. If one business wasn't enough, she's also a co-owner of Melbourne's plant-based cafe, Matcha Milk Bar. She has her own blog, A Spoonful of Sarah, and she also has her own podcast, which is amazing, by the way, called Seize the Yay. If this doesn't already sound like she's accomplished so much, she's also written a book, which will be coming out later this year. With all these achievements, Sarah has remained so humble and she is truly grounded in what she does, which you'll hear in this episode. We talk a lot about career, we talk about changing paths and maintaining wellness and having the courage to take the leap to do what you love. I really hope you guys get so much out of today's episode and hope you enjoy. 
Welcome, Sarah, to Retreat Yourself Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Congratulations. You're doing an amazing job. Oh, thank you, as are you. I've listened to your podcast since day dot, I think. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Thank you. And you were actually, I remember talking to you on the phone and about doing a podcast and you're like, just do it. It's oh, the best thing great. ever. And that was like the thing that pushed me into doing it. I'm so, so thank you. Glad. Oh, I feel so <laughs> proud and excited. Yeah, I remember that conversation because I think it's just one of those things that opens up a whole new world of conversation and you get really tiny snippets of people's personalities on socials and these like longer form conversations are where you're just like, get into the juice and, totally. and you hear people laugh and you hear them, you know, what their sense of humour is like. And I think everything you're doing is so comprehensive and I think it's a beautiful addition to, to the Retreat Yourself brand. Thank you. <laughs> I was just so excited because I wanted to listen. I was like, make it, just do it. You'll be amazing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's so awesome. It's such an awesome thing and totally like it just it adds, I think on social media you see people and you see their lives but it, it's often just highlight reels except for you and your bloops. Oh my God, yeah, I just posted one today <laughs> this you? morning of let me show you. I feel like it really needs to be seen again. So um, I've learned on the Great Barrier Reef, you know, most influencers are kind of posting their bikinis and them on like the front of a boat. <laughs> I look great in a snorkel. <laughs> that is amazing. How is that me? Like, <laughs> I've never looked less attractive in my life. That is so good. I look like a puffer fish. For you guys listening, it's a picture of Sarah with a snorkel on. It says, when you realize that Nemo is alive, you have to definitely go and find it. That's so And good. like my lips are puffy, my <laughs> cheeks are puffy. You can see the pink noodle that I was on. It was just, and I'm fully Asian, so I just look like a big tourist. It's great. <laughs> I love it though. It just brings it all back down to reality. That's so good. So awesome. <laughs> So I always like to start the podcast by talking about a quirkiest quality or most embarrassing moment. Um, I think it just makes people seem, seem more human. I feel like that in itself the point <laughs> know, is, that's one. is a quirky quality. <laughs> yeah. If somebody said to you, what's your quirkiest quality, what would you say it would be? Oh, my gosh. I think I'm I'm just quirky all around. I mean, every quality of me is I'm a big <laughs> weirdo, but I kind of love it. <laughs> Probably one of the main ones is that, you know, my whole life philosophy is very positive. Everything is sees the yay, you know, everything's about yay and finding joy, being kind and, and gentle. But then the thing that relaxes me the most and the thing that I do to, you know, there's a whole section of my podcast called Play TA, which is investigating the things in our personality that we do to unwind and not related to work or achievement. Mm -hmm. Mine is like murder. I love <laughs> true crime. I love war. I love researching about genocide. And I find that kind of, you know, either true crime stories and podcasts or, um, you know, through events. I love that stuff. Like, I don't know whether it's because it's so removed from what I do. Uh, yeah. It's so different. Yeah. To, like fun and like wellness. I know, but it's so, <laughs> people always find it so cool, like weird. They're like, wait, you're so positive. Why do you just get so deep into like murder and serial killers? And <laughs> I like having fun and I like murder. Yeah, like I know. <laughs> and just before I go to sleep as well, Nick's always like, what are you doing? It's so weird. So that's one thing that's pretty quirky. Um, Gosh, there's so many things. What else? <laughs> um, oh, I mean, I guess I think that's probably good enough. But yeah, yeah I love bloopers. I um, grind my teeth really badly. I sleep eat. That's a pretty big one. What? Really? So you yeah. go to the kitchen while you're sleeping, or yeah, I don't wow. sleep walk. Like I've never slept, sleep walked, slept walked, sleep, <laughs> sleep, sleep walked. walked. Yeah, <laughs> um, as a child or anything, but. Recently, like in, I reckon the past two years, I've started waking up with like avocado skins and a spoon next to the bed. Unless it's or, healthy. <laughs> no, or like in a hotel room. So I'm just not a big sweet tooth. Um, 
and I'll find like packets of stuff, like empty packets in the bin when I'm the only person in the room. Wow. And it's just started happening and I'm like, what is this? And you wake up with like crumbs all down your chest. Yeah, like there's chocolate, like all our pillows have chocolate stains and like it's just the weirdest, weirdest. That is so bizarre. Like I'll actually wake up and go and get the thing and then come back and eat it and then go back to sleep and not remember it. Wow. I know. Why do you, what, what do you know why that's happening? Not a clue. Maybe you're just hungry and you don't realize. I thought too, <laughs> but then it's like, it'll happen, you know, sometimes you just kind of like eat early and then you're hungry later on, mm. but it's not like consistently after those yeah. nights. I don't know. It's just weird. How is that? And it's not consistently the same food. Yeah. Weird. So strange. I know. So and strange. you've got no control over it. You're like, who knows what I'm going to eat tonight. I know. And what if there's no packet? Like there's no evidence. So I don't know what I'm eating overnight. <laughs> <laughs> need to put locks on your cupboard. I know. So like when I'm trying to eat really healthy or like before the wedding, I'd just be like, wow, I ruined the whole thing. And I didn't even know there's chocolate everywhere. What happened? Oh my gosh. That is so, that is very quirky. So quirky. But like at some, you know, I laugh about it, but then at some point I'm like, I'm probably going to have to like get a handle on that. Yeah. (laughs) Do you ever like get bits of food in your mouth and and things? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes, sometimes I get, yeah, food scraps and crumbs around, around the place. That's so funny. That is hilarious. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge weirdo. I mean, I could go on. This whole podcast could be about things that are quirky about me. I love that though. I love that though because it makes you down to earth. And like I think a lot of the time with social media, like people can look at your profile and be like, you know, you're, you're so perfect. You're doing all these amazing things. But it's like you just bring it back down to reality. It's great. No, it's so good because people paint this picture and you can basically put yourself out there to be whoever you want to be. Do you know mm. what I mean? And mm. it's great. You bring it, bring it back to, down to reality. So oh. that's good. Oh, thank you. I think I just, that all came about because I, I honestly started feeling uncomfortable posting, you know, the photogenic or photo worthy moments of your life are the ones where you are already dressed up and you're at an event. And that mm. is, it's not that it's not reality because that is a big part of my life, but it's a percentage, you know, mm. it's not the whole thing. And I realized that the string of things that I was posting was only the really curated, beautiful, um, fancier type things. And that the reality behind the scenes was not even 1% like that. <laughs> not and, quite as glamorous. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just felt I don't know, increasingly uncomfortable that I was putting out a picture that wasn't the whole picture. So I was like, mm. how can I remedy that? And how can I also myself have a better relationship with it? Not feeling that I had to meet that made up, hair done, beautiful styling outfit. You know, I yeah. I was setting this unrealistic standard for myself as well. So the whole bloops thing has um, been really nice on all fronts. Yeah, that's so awesome. How have your followers responded to that? overwhelmingly positively. Yeah, that's awesome. I think people really love to see people just firstly not to be so hard on themselves Mm -hmm. and and learn to, you know, have a laugh. Like the best quality you can have is to learn to laugh at yourself. But also I think it helps others as well to remind themselves that what they're seeing and what they might be comparing themselves to or what they might be beating themselves up about, you know, when they're scrolling and having feelings of inadequacy or um, what, you know, anxiety or whatever else comes from scrolling and comparing. I think it's a nice circuit breaker for them too that, oh, wait, everyone's having those moments, just Mm. not everyone's sharing them. Yeah. I feel like for every like 100 photos, you might get one good one. Yeah. (laughs) And that's the one that goes on social media. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And people forget that that's the process that goes behind that. Mm. Even like from small accounts to big accounts, most people are putting their best foot forward, which makes sense. I mean, you don't necessarily want to put your worst foot out there and like show everyone, you know, your, I don't know, (laughs) 10 chins. 
but yeah, I, I decided actually I'm going to put only the worst ones out there. Um, and you know, if I do take a photo that's got like a hundred takes, I'll screenshot the camera roll with all of them on and just remind people that yeah. it does, it's, you know, that's the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. That's so good because social media plays such a big part in our lives and totally. a lot of people struggle with the comparison thing. So. And, and everyone, like I struggle still. And even though I know that that happens because I do it, I still look at other people's accounts sometimes and forget and just think they've taken, you know, one easy casual yeah. candid Kathy photo and yeah, they yeah. look like that all the time, obviously. And <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah, exactly. It's just you need to snap back into reality. And yeah, I have a better relationship with it knowing that, you know, I'm putting out things that help others, but also that I'm keeping myself reminding that that's not the standard that I need to live yeah, up to totally. either. It's yeah. kind of a mutual benefit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I record your intro, which I always do separately, I explain a little bit about what you do and kind of your story, but I always think it's really interesting to hear from the person themselves about what they do. So can you explain to our listeners about what you do? I feel like you've got your finger in so many different pies. <laughs> so <hard> to explain. <laughs> so the main, the, well, the first our project that we started with five years ago, I was a corporate lawyer and uh, by way of a very happy accident that actually was burnout and not that happy at the time, <laughs> but uh, I ended up burning out into adrenal fatigue, getting banned from coffee and discovering matcha. And uh, that was the start of, you know, me searching for a really good source of matcha powder and discovering that I was hooked on it, coming home to Australia, not being able to get any, starting a side hustle to just literally sell one or two bags, but mainly to fill my own selfish need. And, and through that <laughs> process, we started Matcha Maiden. And so that was our first business. And that's probably still um, one of the main projects that I work on day to day. We're still a very small team, so I'm yeah pretty much manage operations. I do a lot of the creative. Um, my husband and I do that together, and we've got a couple of staff members as well. A year into that, we opened Matcha Milk Bar, which is the plant-based uh, cafe that has the vegan so eggs good. and all the rainbow lattes. And that came about based on the Blue Zones research, which are the five areas of the world where people live dramatically longer than anywhere else. And just looking at the behaviors that they have in common that gives them that extra longevity and the blue zone with the most hundred year olds that not only live longer, but live well into their nineties. It's not with illness or disease that, you know, they're very active is that they eat a majority plant-based diet, but they also drink matcha. Wow. So we thought, oh my God, no one's made a longevity cafe. You know, there's yeah. all these health food cafes and wellness cafes, but none of them are based on longevity as a thing for like, and sustainability for your body and the planet. Mm. And also no one had made it cool. You know, a lot of vegan cafes are quite intimidating if you're not vegan yeah. and the research and the message gets lost in how aggressive it can be. So we we started that on a whim and, and that became something. So that's still going and is uh, another amazing thing that I get to spend my time on. A year ago, I started the podcast, which was, uh, again, like a hobby on the side. I feel like everything starts by accident. I have no totally. big plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that came about because the two matcha businesses had become, you know, very consuming. And as they got bigger, I got further away from the customer and kind of had to take a back seat and do more operations and admin and planning. And I realized the people bit is the bit that I love. And I was just like, how can I justify having chats with cool people <laughs> and make it, you know, not just me having a yak. <laughs> oh, I'll record it and make it something. So that started a year ago. That's called Seize the A. And the whole idea of that is breaking the autopilot circuit that we all get on where you're just kind of caught up in the momentum of being busy and climbing ladders and ticking boxes and not really asking if it's what you want or, or if it's what makes you happy. 
And that, that doesn't mean you have to be happy all the time and doesn't mean you have to be happy in your job necessarily, just that we find some kind of joy somewhere in our lives. Mm. And that's been my way of, I think, bringing more yeah into my life was um, having a project on the side that wasn't necessarily monetized. It wasn't goal orientated. It was just have a chat whenever you can fit it in. Yeah. Uh, and I finished a book over Christmas and New Year's. Oh, wow. Congrats. Yeah, which that's is really so exciting. exciting. So that uh, is actually takes a lot longer than you think. It doesn't come out until September. Oh, wow. Even though it was due in January. Yeah. <laughs> Why so long? I think there's just a lot of editing yeah. um, that goes back and forth. There's one editor looks at it, they give you it back, you write, rewrite a few chapters and they send it to another editor. I think it's just the process of... Is it a CZA book? Yes. yes. So it's called CZA. So good. That's yeah, exciting. which is really exciting. So that's another project. And then what else are we doing? We just have so much on the cards this year. Yeah. <laughs> we just got married. Probably going to think about starting a family at some oh, st- some stage so soon. exciting. Yeah. I noticed really... you called Nick your husband before. Do you feel like that was a weird transition? It's so weird. Yeah. I had to think about it. I yeah. was like, Nick, my Ooh. husband. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm getting married in three weeks as well. I'm like, I just don't know how the, the transitions that you go, like changing your last name and starting to call them husband, I feel like. Yeah. It's so weird. And you don't, I don't think you ever feel adult enough to do it. I feel like I'm pretending. I feel like that's the problem. It's like, I'm not an adult yet. No. Oh my God. We still (laughs) giggle. Like it's hysterical. Like, oh, my husband. (laughs) And also the whole like Sarah Davidson thing as well. Like half my things are in one name, half of them are in the new name. And I figured I had to decide what I wanted the book to come out in. Mm. And then whatever I chose for that, it, I had to like filter that through. So there's enough time between now and August mm. or September or whenever it comes out. Yeah. Um, and Feminist Me was like, keep your surname. Yeah, yeah, totally. But then, you know, I think it's a, Davidson's a really nice name. Holloway and Davidson have the same amount of syllables and <laughs> we want to have the same name as our children. Exactly. I think that's a big factor of it. Yeah, that well. was the deciding one for yeah. me. Yeah, definitely. But I also, you know, totally respect women that decide to keep their I mean, it's your name. It is very weird. Yeah. But you get yeah, used the to The attachment, it. like, with your family as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, holding yeah. on to that. I know that you talk a lot about um, not being identified by what we do. I've heard you talk about it a lot in your podcast and everything, and I think it's really important because I think a lot of people – identify who they are by what they do. It's like, I am a, um, I'm an entrepreneur or mm. I am a teacher or I'm a this or I'm a that. Who is Sarah behind all of the different projects that you do? I know that you've got <laughs> lots of little things going on. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good question. And I think, you know, what we were just laughing about before we started recording was how ironic it is that <laughs> the, of, like often the messages that you're trying to put out there and that you're really passionate about, they kind of get lost in applying them to yourself. So Mm -hmm. even though I am really passionate about showing who people are outside of what they do, I find it very hard. It's a very new identity for me as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's become important, more and more important over the last few years to make time for, you know, cultivating an identity that isn't based on matcha or wellness or business or output. And like you, you said before that on your holiday, you found it when you weren't doing and achieving and being busy, you know, you you were anxious and Mm -hmm. you kind of don't know what to do with yourself. And I grapple with that as well. But I think since looking back and seeing myself as a lawyer and knowing that when people used to ask me what I loved or what I liked doing or what I was passionate about, I had no answer. Mm. I was like, that's not good enough. That's not, that's no way to spend your life. And the last five years has been 
spent investigating. It takes a long time to figure out who you are. You actually have to, you don't just wake up knowing. I actually had to journal and be like, I am interested in this. That Mm. means I will also like this. Like it was a lot of figuring things out. But I think I am very people orientated. I love to learn. Uh, It's hard for me to stop my brain trying to learn things and stop (laughs) trying to be productive, but I love trying new things. And what I've found is that the best way to be me separate to output and and business and achieving is to do things that are mutually exclusive, like Mm -hmm. things that are tactile. So I love puzzles because you can't do a puzzle and do your work at the same time. I love reading. I love gardening. Um, I've become, you know, one of my new – uh, resolutions last year was to be a red hot crack person. So just give everything a red, a hot, red crack. hot crack. So good. <laughs> even if you crap at it, even if you never want to do it as a career, like even if there's no point. So we went bouldering the other day. Oh, awesome. Yeah, How we was did. that? It was amazing. Wow. I'm so bad, but it was awesome. <laughs> we did a calisthenics class, just like trying lots of different stuff and yeah. seeing what's fun and what you're good at and not caring if you're not as mm. well. So yeah, I think it's still a new identity, but Sarah outside of work is just very adventurous, kind of slothy. I kind of love naps. <laughs> um, in between activity, I really like naps. Um, I really love reading. And uh, we've got a golden retriever called Paul. I love oh, spending so time with him. Yeah, I love – I'm just – I'm actually quite a potterer. I've also realised I thought for my whole life I was an extrovert because I love people. But I think I'm actually more introverted in terms of how I recharge. So mm. I'll go out and be really peopley, but then afterwards I actually really like to be quiet and have alone time and sit with the dog and read a book, have a bath. I love baths. Mm. Um, Nick thinks I'm stewing in my own filth, but I really enjoy <laughs> bubble baths. <laughs> you like the soap cleans it away. Yeah, it's yeah. It's bubbles. There's bubbles. I'm clean. I'm like basically cleaner than I am outside of the bath. <laughs> it's funny what you say about being an introverted extrovert. I completely relate to that. Mm. And I feel like a lot of people are, are becoming more and more like that because there's so much pressure put on us all of the time from the outside world that even if you are extroverted by nature, it's so draining that you have to kind of come inward and sit with yourself and like recharge to get that energy back. Otherwise, totally. you just got no, nothing to give. And the other thing that I've had to learn to push through as well is like you said, that first little bit when you do stop, because your body has got this momentum going, it it actually feels yuck. Like mm. stopping feels yuck at it the does, start. Yeah. And sometimes you misinterpret that as a sign, well, oh, I should just keep going then because I've obviously got energy. But what I've learned is I have to push through that. I have to just sit in the discomfort mm-hmm. and wait until my body kind of cut. It's almost like a, like a drug. It's like mm-hmm. an addiction to adrenaline. And you're coming down. And you're coming yeah. down and you have to wait for the come down and then like a couple of hours in, suddenly you'll feel your shoulders relax and you'll be like, oh, now I'm resting. Yeah. Like now is when I'm doing the healing and the repairing. And mm-hmm. because I've learned that it takes me so long, um, I now like Sunday is my day where I'll sit really uncomfortably for the first half of Sunday, but then the whole rest of the day, once I kind of get down to that level is my time when I'm like, okay, yeah, I've got to do nothing. I'm finally actually enjoying doing nothing. Um, and then I can relax into it. But if I, and if I don't have that, then the whole rest of the week kind of feels out of kilter. Yeah. You're just out of whack. Definitely. So I've heard a little bit about your childhood through listening to your podcast and everything. Um, Can you explain to our listeners a little bit about what your childhood was like? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Beautiful. I had a wonderful childhood. I was born in South Korea, adopted from an orphanage when I was six months old. 
So grew up, you know, my adopted parents, or they're my parents, mm-hmm. uh, white, Caucasian, country bumpkin, <laughs> dairy farm type Australians. So I grew up a little bit confused, looking very Asian, but a bit of a bogan in my head. <laughs> but I think, you know, my parents taught us really uh, really well how to navigate being adopted and different cultural identities and we were always made to feel really comfortable about that story and I don't actually think I really even noticed until years and years later. <laughs> so, yeah, I had a really great childhood. Um, one side of the family was from Gippsland, the other side was from up near Lake Eildon. We lived in the city so we had kind of all the benefits and opportunities of great schooling and sports clubs and um, I was a ballerina when I was younger but then we also had strong grounding family roots in the country as well and kind of had the best of both worlds. That's amazing. It was amazing, Mm. yeah. And um, really supportive family who encouraged us to try everything like the red hot crack thing has been actually around for a long time. You know, (laughs) they, they encouraged us to be academic but also try every sport and then not just encouraging us to do it but then making it possible they would Mm. drive us everywhere and buy us whatever we needed you know we weren't like a super wealthy family but they made everything possible for us and tried to meet every need where they could and so both my brother and I spent our whole childhoods doing lots of extracurricular activities and were able to travel as well they took us traveling since you know we were really young I think I went back to Korea to pick up my brother when he was four, so that was my first trip, but then we went to Disneyland at the age when it was, like, magical Mm. and had our eyes open to the world, I think, from quite a young age. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, and I think that is kind of what has carried through to being um, open-minded and to love people but also to love trying lots of different things and never being really limited to just one pathway even though for a little while there you know around the legal career time I became very singly focused Mm. I think going you know back into my childhood the roots for a more open-minded life were there yeah definitely what made you want to go into the world of being a lawyer it honestly was a bit of a process of elimination it wasn't that I was like yes I want to be a lawyer it was more that because I'd had so many interests and hadn't really specialised in anything. I do know I was, almost went full-time as a ballerina in year 10. Wow. So you almost made that your career. Yeah, very, very wow. close. And actually when I look back at my life, there's a lot of sliding doors moments where I kind of get goosebumps thinking how different it could have mm. been but for one decision. Uh, but I ended up deciding I have to finish school and if I love it enough, I'll go back. And by then I discovered boys and not training all the time. <laughs> Very distracting. Like, oh, okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. this is fun. <laughs> but I ended up doing quite well at school. I'd always had that academic side of my brain and got into a, a school that was an academic entry high school that was a very rigorous academic environment. So that helped me get the score that then I sort of had no plan what to do with it. <laughs> and um, medicine, you know, was very – I could have done it but and I've always been fascinated in it, but it was too narrow. Any other career path that was that I could think of at the time, which was five jobs. I mean, you know, at the end of year 12 <laughs> you don't actually know that there are more than oh five gosh, jobs. Yeah. Um, law was just the one that I knew I could change my mind later yeah. and I thought it would open the most doors down the track. Totally. So then I did the degree and I still hadn't figured out what I wanted to do with it and, again, decided to get into a law firm just because, again, it would open lots of doors. No matter what happened, it would make a great start uh, and that kind of just continued, this indecision. But Yeah, you know. but it led you in the right direction. Isn't it funny how as teenagers – 
we're in a time of our life where we don't really know who we are mm. or what we like, but we've got all of this pressure to make these life decisions. It's so scary. When, yeah. you, think, when you think about you back then, mm. how could you possibly make a decision for the rest of your life? Oh, it's I so didn't. terrifying. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think anyone does. No. And I went back to my high school last week, a couple of, yeah, a couple of days ago, and the one message I had was just, be okay with not knowing mm. because you're not supposed to and all you need to do is take a step. It doesn't need to be the final step. It doesn't even need to be the one that you love. You just take something yeah. and throw everything at it, learn everything you can because nothing's ever a waste. Just be patient because mm. if I had tried to do anything that I've done now back then, it just wouldn't have worked. Totally. I was too young, too inexperienced. You have to get into the workforce and you might hate it for a little while but – you know, you're, you're young, there's time, just exactly. use this time to experiment and I think, pivot. Yeah, I think there's time at any time of your life. And like you were exactly. saying before about how you've kind of gone from one thing to the next, I think they've all come from different opportunities or different experiences that have given you the understanding that that might be something that you wanted to pursue. Mm. And I think that at any time in your life, it's at, I don't think it's ever too late to to change paths. Um, Absolutely. Everything that you do, you learn something from and it gives you more of an understanding about what path you want to take. And I think mm. the more you understand about who you are, the more you know about what you want to do. Totally. And that, that who you are also changes over time. Totally. Like as you get yeah. older, you have different priorities. You When you're younger, maybe you're more, more mobile, maybe you want to, you know, you are more open to things overseas or that are more adventurous. But then when it comes to family, like you might have different criteria for what you want your life mm. to look like. And I think we we expect ourselves to be the same person with the same goals the whole way through. And it's just maybe once upon a time it was like that. Our parents maybe had one or two careers to max. Totally. But Times have changed so much in yeah, such a short space of time. We're expected to have <laughs> six or seven. So I think – we need to stop being so hard on ourselves and applying rules and expectations that came from a different time and accept that now you're going to change your path many, many times and look around you. There are so many people now, the most successful business people in the world who started their careers at 50. Mm. They didn't even know that they were going to go into those industries at 45 and we're still, you know, ages away from that. So yeah. there's no there's no reason why you can't have a dramatic pivot at any time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What was the transition from being a lawyer to what you call a fun entrepreneur? <laughs> I always feel like I stumble over that word, fun entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, it was. I feel like crazy. they're the two like polar opposites. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was. It's so weird thinking about it now. It's just been long enough to be able to look at it more objectively. Mm. It was dramatic, crazy, complete. A complete, yeah, 180 from a very structured, rigid, safe, familiar environment that definitely had a strong learning curve, but I'd also studied for seven years to be there. So I was prepared. There was someone to turn to, you know, the hierarchy of more experienced people was clear. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, looking back, I didn't appreciate that structure at the time. I wasn't unhappy, but I think I, I – didn't resent, but I didn't love operating in an environment where everything was very rule bound and tradition bound. I, I like thinking out of the box, and I think I could feel that early. Yeah, leaving that was so exhilarating to realize that you could have an idea and then just roll with it, and you didn't have to check with like twenty million people <laughs> and get plans and business plans and budgets. And I thrived very quickly on that ability to roll with creative ideas and innovate very fast and be agile. 
I definitely lost my way a little bit without any structure and went too far the other way. Mm. I think you go from, you know, having someone tell you what to do to having no one tell you what to do. It's fun, but you also, you need some boundaries and rules and I just got way too carried away. So the first year was just work. I just was like, this is a hobby. This doesn't feel hard. It doesn't feel any it doesn't feel like work in any way. So I took no breaks. I just rolled straight from the day I left. The next day I was like twiddling my thumbs, like, what do I do with all this time? Mm-hmm. And then I clicked, started, and didn't stop for about a year and a half. And Nick, you know, we were working in it together. We were living together. We went from having very separate degrees to no time apart. And we mm-hmm. just hustled. We worked every minute of every day. We got way too excited about suddenly seeing the results of our labor as well and not that then why would you have an incentive to rest if it was all doing good yeah. things and we just kept going and it was so much fun and the momentum momentum kept us going until I burnt out again and mm. I was like I have moved into wellness thinking I would be the picture of wellness and I've done what I did in corporate yeah but worse because I could have stopped it because I'm my own boss, so there's no one to blame. (laughs) It's my fault. (laughs) So the transition was like so exhilarating, so exciting, a little bit scary but mostly exciting. And then I realised I'd just run too far with it and had to find a middle ground. And everything since that moment has been – I was actually sick for maybe three three or four months. Oh, wow. And hardly could work. And by then I had no salary and Mm. Realize, you know, the buck stops with you. So you've got to be in it completely, but you've got to be in it sustainably. And if you write yourself off, well, you can't run a business yeah. for just a year. It has to last. Continue, yeah. So everything since then has been learning to find the middle ground and building some working hours and non-working hours into our life and distinguishing between weekends and weekdays, which there was none of that Mm-mm. at the beginning. <laughs> learning to take breaks and celebrate the wins instead of just like letting them go past and just rushing to the next thing. But, yeah, it was – Definitely, um, definitely a big change. Um, it's so hard to think about now. It just felt very natural because I had taken, I stayed in the law firm for the first six months. So I think I used that time to gradually adjust. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely hard and financially it was very hard as well. Losing the safety and security and predictability of a wage. It took me a long time to learn how to balance our finances as well and learn how to put money aside for tax and, you know, just the stuff I'd never had to do before. Never thought about, yeah. Our first tax bill, I was like, what? <laughs> what, what is this? What? You, I don't get a refund? <laughs> I haven't saved any of this. Like those little things took a while to yeah. iron out the creases. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, still we're ironing. Sometimes I'm like, damn. Oh, I feel like you're always forever learning. Totally. And what you were saying about going into it and working all of the time and just being so excited about it. I feel like every business owner goes through that. Oh, yeah. It's like a rite of passage. (laughs) Yeah. You're like so excited. And I remember when I first started Retreat Yourself, my partner would be like, you have to take weekends. And I'm like, no, I don't. Like I've got all the energy in the world. This is great. And Why would I stop? Look look what's happening. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it just – yeah, but I just completely burnt myself out as well mm. um, and it happened again. I think it goes in ebbs and flows as well, totally. like being kind of – I call myself like an excitement junkie. Like I love I yes. love all the exciting things. It's yeah. so much fun and it's easy to kind of get caught up in that sometimes mm. and, and forget to – you forget to stop and be like, okay, cool, where is the balance here? Totally. Yeah. And, you know, people often ask about the jump, you know, was it really scary? And I think you probably find the same thing that – 
that moment wasn't actually scary because there's so much excitement and, mm. and you suddenly can do whatever you want. You're just like overwhelmed by like, Wee, this is so fun. What's more scary is when it slows down like mm-hmm. a year or two later and you do realize that you've got to manage your, your energy, your money, your relationships. Like it all gets very serious. That was more scary for me once I was like, oh, whoa, I can't go back. I've, I've done this now and I've got to make it last. It's not like the novelty kind of wears off and you're like, oh, this totally. is full time now. <laughs> People are always like, you know, it must be so hard to start a business. And I often say like it's way harder when you're, yeah, you're like at six months or a year and maybe a year and it's like, okay, cool, I'm at this point now. Now I've got to actually take responsibility for yeah. my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not just running on passion and excitement all the mm. time. And you're at that point where it's like, okay, how do I continue to scale this so mm. that it's actually a viable business and it's going to um, support me in the long run? Totally. It's so much. It's Isn't so it? Much, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Because the, at the start, everything is a win. Like getting your logo is a win, getting the name totally. is a win, launching is a win. There's so many big milestones. But from then on, the milestones are much more spread out and the growth is much more incremental mm. and it becomes, you know, quite serious. And then you're like, oh. And then you forget you forget to celebrate the wins as totally. well. Like you were saying before, um, I just, yeah, you forget to. You're like, okay, cool, we, got, we achieved that. What's the next thing? We achieved yeah. that. What's the next thing? And it's yeah. just you easily get in this cycle of just going, 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 going. You've got to stop and look back sometimes and be like, holy crap, we've actually achieved so much. Totally. Yeah. With the cafe, how did that come about? Like how did you – did you just decide I'm going to start researching longevity around the world? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so we were in LA uh, a year into the business researching, you know, what might be the next beverage trends and just kind of doing a cafe hop and checking out what everyone else was doing. And our now business partner was also doing the same at the same time and he was – we studied law together like years and years ago. Mm-hmm. He had gone – into a law firm lasted three weeks instead of three years <laughs> and gone into hospitality, which is, had been a family tradition. And he and his brother had, you know, had several successful venues by then. So they were our first stockist for Matcha Maiden. And we'd continued our relationship, um, you know, doing a lot of launches through his cafe. And then when we were traveling together, he was looking at the food trends and we were looking at the beverage trends. So we decided to do the cafe hop together. And while we were there, we noticed the two main trends were Matcha based like specific matcha based tea um like beverage venues and specific plant-based eating venues they were the two things that were popping up everywhere and it was only like we only discovered that blue zones research by trying to figure out what united the reason why they were both going so well and it was because longevity and sustainability was becoming such a big thing Mm. and that's how we figured out that okinawa was the connection between the two of them and that we could you know make a story about longevity being the goal rather than you know, animal cruelty is a big motivator for a lot of people to eat more plants and to eat better, but it's quite aggressive and it's quite heated and emotional. So we're like, longevity is easy. Everyone, the beauty industry is based on longevity. Mm. We could, you know, trick people almost into looking (laughs) after themselves and looking after the Mm. planet. And we also sort of thought, what are the barriers for us? Like, why are we so ingrained in these industries? And we didn't know those facts. No one has told us about the blue zones ever. Not at like, all. No. And we're an advanced wellness industry in yeah. Melbourne and Australia. Yeah. So then we came back. Mark had a venue the, where Milk Bar is. Uh, he'd applied for a particular license that he needed, didn't get it, so this site was just sitting there. And he was like, why don't we, you know, we've been sitting on this kind of idea of doing something together. Why don't we make it a pop-up? And then there's no risk. It's like just for fun. If it goes well, amazing. But if it doesn't, we can just close it. 
And so that's how it started. It was meant to be a pop-up. We were like the big barrier to people eating more plants is that it's made intimidating. It's quite a heated area. People think it's all or nothing. They think they have to convert the whole way. They can't just eat, you know, one or two vegan meals a week and be doing their bit. We want to break that down by us firstly, none of us being vegan already. There'll be no preaching. There'll be no Mm. judgment. We won't use the word vegan anywhere. We'll just make amazing food, play on the food science, develop all these things that kind of don't look vegan and taste vegan and um, and go about it from a totally different perspective. And within, I think, the first week we had launched the vegan egg and had Which like, is so cool. I'd never heard of that before. Oh, I don't it's think I've seen it so since. much fun. I think yeah. we were pretty much the first people to do it. That People had made them um, that you could buy in stores and make at home, but no one had like made one that was ready-made, ready to eat on a breakfast menu. And that was the big thing. I was like, what's the barrier to going and eating vegan for breakfast? It's eggs because that's every breakfast dish is based yeah. on eggs. So that's kind of how that came about. And by then we had queues around the corner and that just kept going and then the three months just kept passing and then it got six months and then we're like, oh, crap, like we haven't even painted. <laughs> like, you know, it was slowly kind of renovating around it because we didn't realise it would last so long and now it's three and a half years later. That's so awesome. And I love I love that it came from – I feel like you're very much someone that just grasps opportunity when mm. it comes your way. Like yeah. you just – Saw a, a hole in the market and you decided to do that, which is incredible. And same with CZA, I feel. Like yeah. just like all of a sudden you feel passionate about something or maybe you have for a, a long time and you decide to take action, which is awesome. I think it comes from like having been the opposite and having been trained into a mm. very risk-averse, highly planned, just total perfectionist that was quite paralyzing because you, I wouldn't do anything until it was perfect. And Nick was such a positive influence on me encouraging me you know he's always run businesses never been in corporate he was like why do you agonize so much like why are you holding back the possibility to prove your idea right by going through everything that could go wrong Mm. and the first few you know months of getting matcha off the ground him being able to execute things so quickly without just kind of foofing about as much as I did (laughs) was very instructive for me it was like Mm. oh I'm being held back by the way I've been trained to think how can I reverse that and then Matcha Milk Bar was the same, um, CCA was the same. I realised, like, done is better than perfect. That's why I'm so passionate about those quotes and that's mm. why they have they have guided my whole journey of being like the longer you wait, the scarier it becomes and you have to start when it's small. And, you know, one of the big chapters in the book, I was finally able to realise a philosophy that I'd been applying without knowing, which was I think it's so important to dream big but if you dream too big, you kind of scare yourself mm. away from the dream because it's too intimidating. You kind of get paralysis. Totally. Action paralysis. And I'm like, there is so much about kicking goals and dreams and, mm. you know, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough, but sometimes they are, are too big. They scare you mm. off and then you don't do them. So don't take any action. Yeah. My new tagline is kind of dream big but plan small. Mm. Or you have this big dream that's like a vague possibility off in the distance, but all you need right now is what is the one next step you can take? And whether that's like buy a label maker or buy the matcher before you've bought the bags and then the immediate next step after that is bags to put the matcher in and the next mm. one is sealer to seal the bags. Like do it very, very slowly and very, very small and all I thought about was like, what's the, what are the things we need for one bag? Same with the podcast. What are the things I need to make one episode? And everything else after that, it doesn't actually matter because mm. you're thinking too far ahead of yourself and scaring yourself off. So I've learned to like flip my thinking to 
don't think about the tomorrow. I mean, you have to have some plan, but think about the like minimum viable product and that's all your focus should be on because yeah. we have like such a finite amount of energy anyway. Don't use it on things that haven't happened yet. Mm, exactly. And I think when you apply hindsight to your life and you look back, it's like everything you've achieved and everything you've done is really just a collection of small moments. Exactly. Of tiny little steps. It's not like you know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't be like, I'm going to start this tea brand and it's going to be stocked in stores all over the yeah, world. And then yeah. I'm going to do this. Like that would just be too overwhelming to even take any action. So yeah. Yeah. And I don't think anyone starts their business like that. I mean, no. once you've had a couple of businesses and you get to the point where you make decisions on a bigger scale, like when you're Richard Branson, that's different. But even <laughs> he, like he started Virgin off a flight being cancelled that he wanted to get home to his then girlfriend and chartered a flight and called mm-hmm. it Virgin and mm-hmm. just bought like got people on the same flight that was cancelled to buy tickets. Like everything starts, even at his scale, on one decision for one flight. You don't need to know the rest of the story. You don't need to agonise over it. And um, there's a quote, I can't even remember who said it, but underthinking never made any. I mean overthinking never made anything better. Mm. So just underthink. Just get it done and you'll course correct along the way. You don't even know what's perfect before you start anyway. Exactly, exactly. And I feel like often when you have big ideas – they become scary because it's like all of these things could fail. But when you've only got one little step that you need to do, there's not really anything that could fail. So that fear doesn't really get in the way. And then you're able to take the little bits and pieces. Totally. And nothing needs to change. Nothing physically changes. It's just the way that you see it. Yeah, totally. So I kind of like talk everything down. I talk Mm. the risks down, which is like maybe a tiny bit irresponsible, (laughs) but at least it makes it possible for me to take the step. Yeah. It's all about just framing things in the way that you can cope with Mm. and yeah, I think we sometimes look externally and think like, what can I change to make this possible? And it's like, no, just change the way you think about it. Just make it seem smaller. Just make the risk seem smaller. You know, just don't let things get carried away because we, things get so grand and scary and overwhelming in our mind, but that's our mind. That's not how they actually are. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And also like, what's the worst that can happen? Like you lose a bit of money, you can make money again. You know, like I think that we blow the idea of these risks up in our head, but Mm. in reality, it's actually not going to be the end of the world if yeah, something totally. goes a little bit wrong. So with CZA, um, obviously I love your podcast. Like I <laughs> listen to all the episodes. I think Thank it's you. awesome. And now you've got your flip book and now you actually you've written a book, which is so impressive. <laughs> what, why, I know that it's about having fun, but how would you kind of explain that concept to somebody? Yeah, um, I think it it started from realising that, I, that sees the day in itself is a great idiom for like motivating people. You know, carpe diem's been around for ages. It's good for mm. getting action, you know, getting people to take action and not just sit there. But from my own story, looking back and seeing how much that goal of productivity became a goal of productivity for its for productivity's sake, mm. and realizing how much I was climbing this ladder. And became so distracted that I let that ladder consume my entire life. I had no hobbies. I had no interests. I had no pursuits outside of work. Mm. Not that I had the hours to do that. Yeah. But I didn't even I didn't even try. Like I didn't even think that I needed that. I just was so solely focused on climbing this ladder and doing well at my job. And I kind of realized that once a job or a position or a lifestyle ticks certain boxes in society, you kind of think you don't actually think any further than that. Mm. I was like, I'm doing well. Like society, it's a great job. People think it's a good job. I'm like doing well at the job. It's respectable. It's got momentum. There's a, there's a clear pathway. Like what, what more could I want? 
And because of that, I stopped asking what more could I want and then didn't even ever ask if that was what I wanted. Mm. And it's not that I was unhappy. It's just that I was blah. I was just fine. And that's even worse because I often think people will make a change if they're desperately unhappy, but if they're blah, they'll just go with it. Yeah, just And you could end it. up 50 and be blah and look back and go, wait, you don't have to be blah. There's mm. more out there. Mm-hmm. So seizing the yay was just the way to describe my realisation that the philosophy isn't just do busy and tick the boxes. It's actually stop and ask, are you busy in a direction you know, I was busy on the spot. That's why I call it a productivity hamster wheel because I was just running. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, cool, I'm busy. This is good. <laughs> this is great. I don't need to ask anymore. But I wasn't happy. I wasn't doing anything that really used the skills about me that are different. And mm-hmm. for some people, corporate law is their yay and that's amazing. But I didn't even ask if it was or not. That's my problem. Yeah. And it was only by accident that I discovered matcha and found this whole area that activated parts of my brain and parts of my personality that I'd just forgotten existed. I'd forgotten that I was creative. My whole childhood, I was way more creative than I was academic. And I just couldn't believe that I'd let that slide and not even inquired Mm. if I was fulfilling that somewhere or not. And that's where I realized that seize the day does distract you. Going after just goals for the sake of goals can distract you from finding a pathway that actually ignites you. And the other element of that is like, yes, go for yay, go for things that give you that feeling of excitement, like the kind of wonder that you used to get when you were a child. But that doesn't have to be in your job. For me, I found a job that allows me to have that every day. But for some people, making your passion your job kills the passion. Like mm. some artists find that creating to a brief or writing music to a, someone else's guidelines makes it not fun. It doesn't have to be your job. You know, work is called work for a reason. We've never had to be fulfilled all the time. Mm. It's just have a hobby then. Have something on the side that gives you a feeling of pure excitement because then that's contagious it like goes through every area of your life it makes work easier because you're not waking up every day going this is all I have exactly yeah it's just find something that makes you joyous and do it yeah I think a lot of people feel as though they need to have a job that fulfills them and also I think the whole like entrepreneur thing and they're having a side hustle thing it's Mm. just really blowing up over the last like five to ten years with social media Mm. and people feel as though that's where they need to find their yay or that's where they need to find their purpose and it's actually like exactly what you said like Mm. you can find yay in your day-to-day job or you can find it in your you know the activities that you do outside of work Mm. doesn't have to be what you do every single day. Totally. And I have so many friends who are more than happy to have a job that is just blah because Mm. it pays the bills. Like the reality is we've got to pay for life. People have kids, they have dependents, but they have amazing weekends that make them so happy that it makes the week balanced. You know, they're fine because they've got something in their life that brings them joy. And then you've got people who leave to start their own business and find it actually is awful for them. They Mm. don't enjoy not being able to just focus on their talent and having to do all the admin and financing and planning. Some people prefer to be in an organization that does that. And then they're turning up to just do their one role. Like Mm. we're all so different. You can't expect a fulfilling life to look the same on all of us. So in that's why Seize the A, I'm, I'm very aware of not making it just a business podcast because I don't think that's the only way to be happy and Mm -hmm. like so I've got people who have jobs they love like there was a zookeeper on there who's only ever wanted to be a zookeeper and has only done zookeeping and she's so happy she's like I don't really have ambition I'm where I want to be and I was like that's amazing people need to hear that totally totally. and then there's you know like emergency services and firemen and like people who have jobs and they love those jobs and then there's people who 
are fine with their jobs but have this hobby on the side that's like graffiti or, Mm. you know, whatever it is. I'm trying to show that your lifestyle can be weird and wacky and completely different from anyone else's and still make you happy. Absolutely. What's your book, like what's your book actually going to be about? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty much that whole concept. That's everything, yeah. Pretty much. That's so exciting. Yeah, it's like a step-by-step guide where each chapter is based on one of my favourite quotes that addresses kind of a different area of your life. Mm -hmm. And the idea is you just go through each step and – refine or make tweaks or do just do the thinking that you need to do to bring more yay into your life so one of you know the very first one is done is better than perfect and so going through the whole thing of how perfectionism can lead to paralysis and that can get in your own way and learning how to strip those thinking patterns back so that you can kind of unlock your joy and not just go with what you think is um safe and perfect and well planned and then the next one is um you know, about self-doubt and the imposter syndrome and how much that can be an obstruction to your happiness and kind of removing that barrier. And then one of them is the other, some of the five people you spend the most time with. So it looks at all your relationships and how you can't have, you know, five people around you that don't believe in the things that you're dreaming about. Mm -hmm. You won't get there. It's impossible. So just tweak, you know, it's like, just yeah. literally taking it step by step. Of yeah, the things that's, so, that, that's so cool. I'm so excited for that. Oh, I loved writing it. I had yeah. How long did it take? So much fun. Um, I'd been thinking about it, like it had been kind of floating around in my head for about a year, but actually sitting down to write it, I <laughs> signed the book deal the week of our wedding. Oh, my gosh. Because of the um, – you know, honeymoon and like all, all the stuff that comes after that. Mm. And it was also November then. So it was like Christmas, getting our Christmas products out and stuff. I didn't start until the start of December and it was due the 10th of Jan. So I wrote oh it in five God. weeks. What? <laughs> that's like, insane. Yeah, that's why I'm tired. You're like, I'm not doing anything else but writing this book. I, that's all I did. And <laughs> wow. usually I, the one time of year I take completely off is between Christmas and New Year's. Like those seven days, I might just don't have a shower, don't move barefoot. Mm. We go to my, uh, we kept my grandmother's house after she passed away and it looks exactly like it did when my mum grew up in it. Like it's untouched and hysterical. Like every pattern and surface is a different floral and it's oh, just so disgusting I love that. but amazing. I love it. So <laughs> but because I, we went there but every day was 12 hours riding mm. and then I went straight back to the year. I'm just kind of like I haven't had my seven days. I just yeah. all I need every year is seven days and I haven't had it. So I'm like. You need seven days. Like yeah. Next week. I'm a little bit non-verbal <laughs> today. I've been like stuttering a lot on this. No. And I'm like blah, 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 blah. Oh, t- no, you're totally fine. You're so articulate. It's fine. <laughs> I feel like I've just been, yeah. I feel like I always stumble over my words. I have five thoughts in my head at one time yeah. and I go to say one and then I'm like, that's not what was supposed to come out. Yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> Did you get writer's block when you were writing it? Yes. Yeah. A lot. And I find that, so I'd never written that many words. It was 70,000. Uh, the most I'd written before was 30 for my thesis, so less than half. But I've noticed about myself, and this is a, a big thing that became a theme through the book, is noticing things about yourself and mm. then tweaking everything in your life around your own habits. Because I think we set up our lives and try and fit us into the structures rather than realizing what we are and fitting our structures around yeah, exactly. us. Exactly, yeah. So I've been happier since I've learned to just accept my weird things and move everything around it. And one of them is that the first kind of 
two to three days of me sitting down to write anything. And that's even, even a blog post. I'll sit down in the first few hours, like most of the chunk is me just sitting, staring Mm. and just letting all the thoughts kind of get together. And then suddenly I'll just start writing, but I'll sit there and I'll have to just, just deal with the fact Mm -hmm. that I'll do one or two days with like a paragraph. And then the third day I'll be like, okay, I've got it, but I can't, I can't hack my way through that. Yeah. I just have to put, do the time. Yeah. And I would I, I would have writer's block for that first bit. And then I think some people can write bits and pieces with noise in a cafe. I can't do that. I mm. really need like dead silence and I need like a full block of time uninterrupted. And um, once I knew that, I was like, okay, I'm going away to the country. I'm going to have those exact conditions and that made it a lot easier but Mm. there would be points in the day where I was like I've got nothing left yeah I just read the words too many times and it starts to sound like madness and this is rubbish like (laughs) I'm even talking about and then the next day I'll go back and be like oh I'm so clever (laughs) like which is kind of a miniature example of everything about starting any new project Mm, any business is like this is great this is crap this is great oh it is it's just (laughs) such a whirlwind isn't it Yeah. yeah you're obviously very introspective I feel like you're able to look at yourself and identify your habits and identify your thought patterns and, yeah, like you said, adjust mm. your life around that. At the end of the podcast, I always like to uh, summer, kind of ask our guests what they think about our 10 pillars of wellness. So at Retreat Yourself, I think the word wellness gets thrown around all of the time and it's mm. like, I'm going to work on my wellness, but what does wellness actually mean? So we break them into 10 pillars, um, which really allows people to – identify each area that they need to work in and find balance. And the reason I've used the last conversation as a segue is because the first one I like to talk about is mind. I think that mind is such, probably to me is the most important pillar. It really is the foundation of your wellness. Mm -hmm. It's the foundation of all of your decisions, you know, your self-awareness, your attitudes, your perspective, your belief system. So I would love to talk to you about what you do to help you become more self-aware because obviously mm-hmm. you are very reflective and I don't know whether <laughs> that's something that you just apply in your everyday life or whether you have any practices around that. Yeah, I think I've always been a bit of an overthinker. So I've always, as like since I was a kid, stopped and reflected a lot about everything. Mm-hmm. And like I've always, I think ballet probably started it. I became very able to analyze my own performance it's something that they kind of train into you so I, I looking back I think that's probably where I learned mm. it from the beginning but in more recent years I definitely think that the biggest challenge to me has been my mental and the health of my mind more than the health of anything else mm. and the, the big crashes I've had might have manifested physically but probably were much more mental just from like overdoing it emotionally mm. and yeah. then Physical was, you know, how the symptoms came out. But um, I definitely think overstimulation and our overconnection in this world makes it very, very difficult to keep a keep tabs on it. And one of the big ways that I've learned to be so self-reflective um, is because I have a psychologist. Mm. And literally for, I would say, maybe four years, so since the first year of Matcha, that first crash where I was like, I have done this exact same pattern again, completely removed from corporate, so I can't mm. blame anyone. I'm not going to be able to think through this by myself. There's some circuit-breaking pattern that I'm missing. And I I knew that I was very reflective, so I was like, well, I'm not going to just keep reflecting the same reflections. Yeah, like someone's going to have to help me with this. So that's when I also had a very big flare-up of my anxiety, which until then had been – 
probably something sitting under the surface that had now looking back I can see where I'd had panic attacks but I just didn't know what it was Mm. and I think also with society becoming more aware of that I also thought oh maybe this is something that's an ongoing thing so I started seeing a psychologist then for four years I've been every week and it has cost an arm and a leg (laughs) that's (laughs) why I don't have a house and a mortgage (laughs) but that has become my investment in myself is once a week sometimes once a fortnight I have an amazing, amazing psychologist who is also an executive coach and it's kind of a blend of actual psychology and looking at, you know, management techniques for actual anxiety Mm. and um, proper manifestations of mental health um, struggles or overstimulation and all that kind of stuff. And then half of it is executive coaching, which is just literally laying out everything about your patterns and the way your life is structured and mapping it all out in a way that's better for you. Mm. Because we do, we fall into habits, we don't evaluate them because they're just you know ingrained into our schedule and our routines. And she's wonderful. It's wonderful to externalize everything that's in your brain, get it all out. I kind of think of it as like downloading everything off a USB putting it all in order and then putting it back on the USB. Like yeah. That's what psychology is to me, is sitting down with someone who's experienced going blah, verbal diarrhea everywhere, <laughs> getting her to fix it up and then putting it back in yeah. your brain. And it allows you to look at it as well. Yeah, and you don't take the time to do that by yourself, even if you're a journaler and even if you're really, you know, a- like able to self-reflect. I think I, at the level of life that we expect ourselves to operate at, we're running multiple businesses and living the fast-paced life that we do I think most people need a hand with it Mm. and it's been my only survival strategy that's actually cut through and I haven't had a crash since then because I think yeah they help you be now I think it's more about being preventative Mm. so figuring out by having her from you know four years ago before I needed it I didn't feel like I needed it then means that it never happens because you never get too far behind exactly. yourself. Yeah, to somebody there to help you unpack it all as well. Mm. Yeah, awesome. The second pillar is nutrition. Obviously, we all know that nutrition and the food we put in our body helps us to feel good and gives us energy. Do you follow, I know you said before that you're not vegan, mm. um, do you follow a particular diet? I have followed so many particular diets in my time. <laughs> and we all. <laughs> yeah, I think it's part of getting into the wellness world is experimenting with lots of different things. And again, I think it's one of those areas where we do tend to stick to structures regardless of what they're doing to us and not concentrating on what our body is actually needing. And I did that for a long time. Uh, and that's why I'm not vegan 100% because I went vegan for, I think it was about five or six months. And I, it just didn't suit me. I have an Asian heritage. There's a lot of fish in Korean diet. I wasn't getting all the protein that I needed. I probably also wasn't cooking properly either, but mm. it just didn't agree with my body. And I, I love yogurt. You know, there were just a few things that I, I found really difficult. Um, so now I would say Nick and I are very conscious of eating mostly a plant-based diet, probably once a week, maybe once a fortnight we'll eat meat or seafood, but more because it also has to fit our lifestyle. We go to a lot of events. We mm. want to be able to eat, you know, when we're out at a dinner or a birthday course, yeah. and not everywhere is vegan friendly. So we're a bit of everything um, but con- much more conscious these days. Yeah. Uh, and rather than what I used to do, which was like have, you know, categories of food that I wouldn't eat or I would eat, now it's just very much like if it doesn't, you know, if it comes out of a packet, try and limit it, try and cook whole foods, um, try and get – 
enough protein, enough green veggies, enough carbs. When I'm working out more, I'll eat more. When I'm not, you know, when I, when I was riding, for example, I wasn't moving that much, but I needed brain food. I, you know, probably wasn't eating as much as I would when I'm physically training a lot. Um, I just, I call it, I hate this word, but <laughs> intuitive eating is like really the only way to describe it. I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, when I've got my period, I need more carbs. When I don't. Or chocolate. Or chocolate. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just kind of go with, I don't not eat anything. Listen really. to your body. I listen I to my body. Yeah. I don't not eat anything. I'll eat like crappy food as well, depending on, you know, when I have my period, I often just need junk and sugary mm-hmm. things. But then I don't for like the other three weeks. It's so weird. So, yeah. yeah. It is a weird thing, the women's cycle, isn't it? Yeah. And it's weird that we've, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I have obviously had it my whole life and never really understood that. I've never treated the four weeks differently to each other. I've just expected my body to perform the same every single week as if nothing's different. Mm -hmm. And only in the last couple of years have I been like, how? why am I not scheduling quieter weeks around the weeks that really are a struggle and Mm. busier weeks around the ones where I have full of energy? Like why have I always just been like, it's the same. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's and not it's, the same. It's not the same, yeah. especially the week of like no energy, just like, ugh, yeah. I just feel, yeah, just feel crap. And I don't feel like exercising. I have one day where I'm like an actual vacuum and then the other day <laughs> where I don't feel like eating at all. Like it's so strange and I've not really paid attention to that traditionally, mm. but recently I've now the only way I eat is based on what my body is saying. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Totally. With movement, um, what is your favorite way to get your body moving? Oh, that too has changed. Uh, I used to hate running with a passion. Actually, I've seen this on your social media. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But last year we had an amazing opportunity with Nike to do an experiment where I had six months to get to a half marathon and, and see if I still hated it. (laughs) <laughs> and I actually ended up loving it. And wow. so now running has become a really big part of movement. I think because it also has a really positive effect on me mentally. I find it very meditative. The movement is very repetitive, um, but it's also quite freeing to kind of sweat it out that mm. way. And you can do it anywhere. It's very democratic. So that's become something I really love doing. I'm very phasey. And I also, I think the same way that I like to keep a lot of diversity in opportunities and um, food and everything is translated to exercise. So I do a bit of F45. I also do yoga. I love Pilates. I do hot Pilates sometimes. Um, Strong, the new Roformer. Yeah, I've seen that. That looks it's so amazing. hard. It's so hard, but it's awesome. Oh my gosh. I'm like very open to just doing a bit of everything. So I'll do a hit class one week. I, I, I like exercising socially. I'm a lot better I used to be amazing in the gym by myself, but now I'm just so lazy and, yeah. and just unmotivated. And it motivates you to get there as well. Yeah. So I like to, if someone's doing a class wherever it happens to be and they ask me, I'll be like, sure, I'll come along. That'll be my <laughs> exercise that week. You know, I'm a bit, I'm really all over the place. I probably need to have a better routine. Um, but it works for you though. I mean, I don't know if it, I don't know, I don't know if it has. <laughs> in the last year, I think being so sporadic has meant that at times mentally I've needed to do more exercise more mm. in a more structured way and I haven't because I've been like, oh, and there's no class on. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I do. I try a bit of everything. But generally I try and do um, probably one hard, like sweaty, cardio-based, more hit class a week, something more yin um, also in the week, and then a run. Yeah. So like three or four times a week and then I walk the dog and play around. I used to try and exercise every day, but that's just so not sustainable. So, yeah, I'm like a three three times a week kind of person. It's still healthy though. It's better yeah. than nothing. I'm yeah, sure yeah, you're yeah. running around all the time. Yeah, all and the we, things yeah we're moving a lot. So And and I do. I, we've got a park, coffee or park around near us, so I walk a lot as well. But, yeah, I'd say three proper sessions a week 
But then when we travel, like it's all over the place. Totally. It all gets thrown kind of out the window, I suppose, and just whatever you can. I know. Sometimes I have those little like, um, you know, there's like resistance bands and I'll just like do something random in a hotel room that's like, I don't even know. I make up something. I'm just like crab walking around this tiny space. Whatever you can fit in, it counts. Whatever you can do, totally. (laughs) Our fourth pillar is love. I think that love is so important. I think community, it's not just the love you have with your partner Mm. or your friends or your family, but also the love that you hold for yourself. I think it helps you to stay connected and and feel like you've got kind of more of a purpose to your life. You mentioned before when you and Nick both went into the business and you were working together every day. (laughs) Do you guys still work together a lot? No. (laughs) I mean, yeah, sorry, that's wrong. We do. We work (laughs) together a lot, but we do it in a structured way. Yeah, so the question was going to be how do you set boundaries around Yeah, or do you set boundaries around that? Yeah, so first it started off anywhere, like literally in our bedroom. Uh, there was no work environment. It was just like wherever you just happened to be sitting and it was often together, like physically together mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I, I reckon we did that probably for about a year just because of needs and what we were doing, but we eventually realised we were becoming best friends and business partners who lived together mm-hmm. and not making any time for our relationship separately taking liberties as well with each other that you would never take with a business partner who is a third party. Like if I don't like his idea, I'd be like, that's shit. (laughs) And then be like, why are you grumpy? (laughs) But, you know, with a third party, you'd be like, oh, I love the idea, but you'd just be more gentle. Like a shit sandwich. Definitely. I'm like, Nick, I actually said to him the other day, I need a shit sandwich. Like understand this. (laughs) I know that it's fake. I don't care. Just give it to me like soft. Yeah. Um, And then we realized, you know, we really had to, change things if we were going to make it if the business was going to make it but also if our relationship was going to make it which was always the priority so now we still work together a lot but we have at home now we have different working areas we've made one room um you know my office in one room is his office we spend we do all our meetings separately so we'll have big chunks of the day when we're not together uh we divided up the roles as well, which we hadn't done at the beginning and kind of made a corporate structure, even though there were only like two of us (laughs) and put our names under each role so that we always knew if there was a disagreement, there was no like tie, you know, there was no tie or anything. Mm. We didn't need a tiebreaker. It was clear. You're the boss of that. I'm the boss of that. Mm, That's good. Yeah. It just took away all the areas for contention and Mm. made it the structures and systems just made it so much easier. And then we had to make cutoff times as well. So after dinner, we don't if we work, it's on our separate stuff so that we're not, you know, our relationship can be like a normal couple that's working together yeah. on different things. Yeah. Weekends, we try and really quarantine as much as we can. Saturdays, not so much, but Sunday is our day where we have to go and get breakfast together. We have to do the crossword. We can't be on our phones. It has to be like in the newspaper. We take the dog. We'll take him for a walk after. We might go to a movie. Like it has to be non-work related That's, activities. Yeah. Nick will do Lego. I might get a massage. Like we we have structures and systems now that we never had before and it's so easy to work together now. Yeah. I mean it was easy then but it just was at the cost of yeah. romance and date night and, and holidays. When, when you've got that romantic relationship with someone, you do need to nurture that. Mm. So it's good that you were able to identify that and then make some changes. Yeah. Well, yeah, when we realised we were like, um, we haven't had sexy time in like a while <laughs> because we'd just been doing our bass and stuff in and, bed. Like that was pillow talk. It's and like not that romantic. is not sexy. No, no. And we're always covered in matcha powder. It's like this, yeah, not, this, is, not, this is not good for our relationship. 
Oh, that's awesome. Number five is purpose. I put a lot of um, importance on purpose. I think that it doesn't necessarily have to be your job. It's just something that makes you feel like you're working towards or you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Mm. The question I want to ask you around that though is because we've talked a lot about moving from your corporate job into uh, match made in. If somebody that was listening was in a job that they knew that wasn't really in alignment with alignment with what they wanted to do in their life, what piece of advice would you give to them? Mm. Oh, gosh, so many things. But I think the main one that I would say would be that you don't have to, what we talked about, we, you don't necessarily have to find that purpose in your job. Mm-hmm. So leaving your job isn't necessarily the answer because I think it is very glamorised leaving your job and starting a business and Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily going to financially or emotionally or stress levels wise be what you need. You you don't know, you know, a lot of people have children they need to support and mortgages that they need to service. And I think there are realities that mean you can't just drop everything to go and find your purpose, but you also don't have to live a life where that's the only thing you do either. Mm -hmm. So I think while you have your job, put some time into it. It's not something that's going to be an epiphany most of the time. It takes research and that means research on yourself. Put a little bit of time away once a week on a Sunday for an hour or, you know, on a Friday night for an hour or something where you think about what you might want your purpose to be and you do a process of elimination and look at the things that light you up and the things that don't and it's, it's a bit of a math problem. Mm. Like it's getting to know yourself and exactly. looking at the activities that you're doing when you love, when you're really happy and looking at the activities you do that make you feel dread and like working out what might be possible for you. And that could be like a lateral shift in your job. It could be keeping your job and having a hobby. You might try salsa dancing. Like it could be anything. I just think don't be wedded to the idea that it's your job that's the problem. Yeah. Um, in many cases it might be and that's amazing but do do a lot of research do a lot of thinking and consult a lot of people find out more about how other people found that um your purpose doesn't have to be your job it, it can be anything that you find anywhere it could be a volunteer position i have mm-hmm. a friend who didn't find her job her purpose in her job but feels enormously fulfilled and is so happy in everything that she does now because she teaches ethics at a primary school wow. and that's one hour a week but yeah. it, it makes her feel like mm. everything else falls into place because that's the one thing that she's you know, purposeful in. Yeah, yeah. It can come in any form and any shape. It can be a long time to discover. It, you have to be patient. Um, but I think you can find it and you might be surprised where you find it. Mm, I love that advice that you've just given. It's awesome. Most people just say, do what lights you up. But I think it's often hard to, yeah, how, how do you do that? So, And how do you know what that is? Yeah, exactly. I remember a me that was like, I don't know what I like, mm. which is a terrible place to be. But I remember struggling to even think of what I I would even try as a hobby. I was like, who am I? Like I realized I didn't know who I was and that was a really scary moment. Yeah, totally. Sleep. Do you have a sleep routine? Oh, my God. So since I was a kid, (laughs) Nick Nick will roll his eyes listening to this bit. Sleep is my most difficult thing, but it's the thing I need the most. Mm -hmm. I've had chronic fatigue twice. I need more sleep than the average person, which is something that I'm struggling to accept, but I'm learning that that's just how it is. Uh, I need like more than eight hours a night, which some people are like, how do you even do what you do? And I'm like, yeah. I just have to, I can't do anything without a good amount of sleep. Routine wise, I'm not great. We don't have great <laughs> sleep hygiene. Um, it's a, it's always a struggle to get me to go to sleep. I love it when I'm there, but I just, there's too many exciting things. I'm like, Wee! yeah, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> yeah. um, but I know that I crumble very quickly when I don't have it. So, uh, I have an eye mask. I have to. I have things that kind of trigger me into realizing, like, okay, take this seriously. 
So I have an eye mask <laughs> that blocks out light so that no matter what I'm doing, like I can't get carried away watching TV even though I do because Nick will literally put it on my face and be like, I'm not letting you see anything. No more stimulus. <laughs> we have um, a diffuser. We have like a couple of little nice things and, and beautiful candles that only come on when it's like work is over. This is signaling sleep time. Um, so we, I guess we do have a little bit of a routine. We also, once we put our phones away, like that's when we've earned an episode of whatever show we're watching together. So TV is like a really big part of our routine in a weird way. Oh, but it's so good. Netflix is just the, gra- so the greatest. Yeah. And there's shows we'll watch in the background of working, but there's shows where we'll only watch them when it's like fully concentrating, no computers, just before we go to sleep. And like I have to earn them, like I have to put all my stuff away to be able to watch those <laughs> things. So that's like another thing that kind of signals transferring from working day to like sleeping. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's, about it. We've, we're getting a new a new bed. Um, I think a lot of people will be surprised to hear we have a double bed. Nick's six foot three, and we have. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. Oh Didn't know it was weird until recently. Someone was like, Is "Does Paul that- sleep on your bed?" Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, How do you even like, don't have any room? No, don't know. We don't have any room. It's terrible. Um, yeah, terrible. Um, so that's a big step towards our sleep quality. So, I think it'll change. I think it'll change everything. Um, but yeah, Paul has a cuddle every morning. We love that. I sleep in on weekends. And I mean, like, I'll sleep in until I wake up, which is sometimes 8 o'clock, but sometimes it's, like, 11 o'clock. Whatever you need. Because I need it. I often don't get the eight hours that I need during the week, so I'll catch up on the weekends. Um, yeah, but my my eye mask is a really big um, thing that has I've started to use more recently to kind of signal to my brain because my brain doesn't take all the other signals, like, yeah. i.e., it's midnight, yeah. like, go to sleep. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> I'm like, oh. yeah, all the things to do. It's so exciting. Totally. And I have that thing um, – on my apps where they like cut off at a certain time and mm. the um like it's called flux you know when the screen takes out all the blue light yeah it turns into like a um like a rose a gold yeah, color. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so those kinds of things um they do they all help to remind you to kind of wind down yeah amazing self-care you have beautiful skin what's your secret oh real? <laughs> thank you uh i'm asian <laughs> No, pretty, yeah. Ma. I feel like lots of Asian people have beautiful have, skin. Yeah. Most, pretty much all Asian people have beautiful skin. It's definitely, um, it definitely has been something through my life that I haven't had to work super hard on. Mm. I did go through a really bad acne phase, um, actually quite late into my twenties. Um, but I learned to look after it. I think that was also because I used to not take my makeup off at night. Like I used to drink a lot. And, you know, in that party phase where you just kind of eat Maccas in the middle of the night and just totally. bad habits. Mm. Um, but now I – mum has always been very good at emphasising the importance of good skincare. So always wear sunscreen. That's a really big thing. Um, like just even during the day when it's not sunny, I, I always use it as a base. Take my makeup off every night. Like I cleanse, tone and moisturise twice a day. Um, I love facials. I get them probably once every six weeks because I used to squeeze my skin so badly and I started to scar and then like just didn't wasn't good for me. So now mm. I get extractions. If I ever have blackheads and stuff, I get someone else to do it. <laughs> um, I do I love like clay masks and sheet masks. I do them probably once a week. Um, yeah, I think all of those little things make me feel like at the start of the day and the end of the day, I feel like I'm doing something good for my skin and totally. yeah, try to look after it. Yeah. Awesome. Drink lots of water as well. Totally. Yeah. Hydration is so important. Fun. If somebody came to you and asked you how they cre- could create more fun in their life. So as like a summary of like 
everything that you do, like the book, everything, what would be one thing that you would say? And it can totally be a quote. <laughs> oh, for fun. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, I don't have, I have a quote for everything and I can't think of one for this. <laughs> I think, I guess I would come back to just that red hot crack thing. Yeah. I think nothing is more conducive to fun than a good old laugh and nothing is more conducive to a good old laugh than looking stupid Yeah. and just totally abandoning your expectations of yourself and once you're a complete beginner at something, there's no – you can't be hard on yourself. Mm. You don't expect yourself to win or do well or be good. It's just – it's so much fun to be like a kid again. Yeah. And, and I think as well, like just go back to the things you did as a child and just do them again. Like go into a gym class. We literally were like rolling around in foam pits. Like what could be more <laughs> fun than just – you don't do it every day. Yeah. But just – do activities that just are silly and childlike and play and like running around and just stop taking yourself so seriously. Go and do something as a beginner and yeah. remember how fun it is to just, you know, be a dork. I love that. It's so good. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you it's for having me. So it's nice. an honor. It's been so nice chatting to you and hearing your story. For people that are listening that don't follow you, where can they find you? Everywhere. <laughs> All over the place. All over the place. <laughs> uh, so Spoonful of Sarah is my page. CZA has its own page. They all both have underscores in between each word. Matcha Maiden uh, has its own page. Matcha Milk Bar has its own page. I'll write them in the show notes as well. Yeah, so there's no. a lot of handles. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, any of those are How me. much time do you have? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they all come to me. My my email's there. Yeah. I think my phone number's there. You can get onto me in many different ways. <laughs> um, and I reply to everything. I always try and put time into writing back. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining oh, me. Thank you for having me. And congratulations. It's amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Amazing is Sarah. She's just an absolute ray of sunshine. And I just love that she's so successful and she's accomplished so much, yet she still remains so humble. I also love her mentality that life is about enjoying. I think we all get caught up in the day-to-day hustle and bustle. So it's really nice to be reminded that life is really about having fun. I really hope you've enjoyed listening along to today's episode. I will put all of Sarah's uh, social links in the show notes. So if you're wanting to find her, you'll be able to do so there. I really hope you've enjoyed. And if you'd be happy enough to leave a review, that would be amazing. I love to know that you're enjoying the content and that I'm also on the right track. Thank you so much, guys. And I'll see you next week. 